We're in John chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 22 through 42. You know, one of the things that Reuben told me, um, it was something that I think we've heard in the church, and, it, you know, I, I loved it when he would share it. He, he would say, he would say, Pastor, you know, one day when we stand before Jesus, it won't be a sin issue. It will be a son issue. And he, Reuben would say this. He would say, and when we stand before God, God will say, what did you do with my son? Huh. And that's it. You know, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? And some of you guys probably even sin uh, more than others. I know I consider myself the chief of all sinners. But I'm not worried about that because I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's not a sin issue. It's a son issue. Jesus is my righteousness. He died for me. And because of that, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no doubt whatsoever that when I die, I'll go to heaven. And we're reminded of that today. You know, some of you guys here, maybe you're um, not sure about whether or not you're a sheep. This is what this kind of study is all about. You know, there might be someone here today, and maybe it's just one person who you're not really saved, and God wants to save you today. And so I pray we would open up really cool uh, story we're going to read here in John 10, 22 through 42. The events in this section occurred about two and a half months after what we read earlier in John chapter 10. But he puts them together because both of the messages actually use the imagery of the shepherd and the sheep. And so this is probably about three months before Jesus dies, three, three and a half months. And that's kind of where we're at. And so I'll give you guys a couple of points uh, to remember. Hopefully, we're going to see, number one, the discussion of Christ. And it's good to talk about Jesus. Like, who is he? You know, talk about him. Who is he? Who, who is he really? Secondly, will be the disciples of Christ. And we'll see what a blessing it is to be a disciple. And then the last thing we'll talk about today is the deity of Christ. And we need to know that Jesus... Not like the Jehovah Witnesses say, he's not an angel, not Michael the Archangel, he wasn't created. He's not like the Mormons say, you know, they say he's just another god of, you know, a myriad of a billion gods. No, uh, we believe in one God and three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in essence and nature. Jesus is God. And earlier we read in John eight twenty four that if you don't believe, I am, Jesus said, then you will die in your sins. And that's why it's important this section, Gospel of John, was written to present to us the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. And the interesting thing about that, you might wonder, well, you know, why is that such a big deal? Why? Well, number one is because who he is. But you see, when God died for us on the cross, it was an infinite offense that we committed against him, and therefore it had to be an infinite payment. And that's why it couldn't be an angel. It couldn't be a created being. It had to be the eternal God, see? And so it's important for us to know that. And so verse 22, John chapter 10, it says, Now it was the feast of the dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Now, does anybody know what holiday that is? You guys know the feast of dedication? Hanukkah. And you've heard of Hanukkah, right? And so it's interesting because it's not an Old Testament festival, but it is something that happened during the Maccabean period. You might remember it was a crazy, crazy time when the, the Syrians, the Syrians were dominating Jerusalem and the leaders there in Syria, actually, and it's a crazy time frame. 
they actually had taken over the temple. They went and they put the image of Zeus in the Jewish temple. They sacrificed a pig, unclean animal, a pig, to to desecrate the altar. And so that just led this uprising of the Maccabean brothers. You guys might remember their story. And it became not just a religious thing. It became a military thing. And God gave them the victory. And you can read it there. It took place in 164 BC. And uh, they had, if you were to celebrate Hanukkah, you know, you have eight days of lights, right? It's the festival of lights. And, um, and then it's the festival of deliverance. And so it's interesting to me that here is Jesus now on this festival, the light of the world and the deliverer. And so here it is, it's during this time, the Feast of Dedication, and we read in verse 23 that Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And so as you read through the New Testament, you'll find the church would often gather together in this uh, place. Uh, It was covered, Uh, it must have been beautiful, it was just like this nice porch area, And, and Jesus is there probably just teaching in one sense, you know, ministering to his disciples, But while he's there, they have this discussion on Christ. It says in verse 24, Then the the Jews surrounded him, and then they said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And so it's kind of cool. Do you guys ever talk to anybody about Jesus? Like, man, who are you? Or who is he? You know, I know, unfortunately, we live in a world now where that's like taboo and you're supposed to talk about, you know, certain things, you know, but for us as Christians, whatever you do, don't commit the sin of silence. You know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's kind of cool to see the discussion. Now, in this case, they came to Jesus and they surrounded him. It's an interesting concept when you think about it. You know, they actually closed in on him. The hostile leaders were determined now to kind of pin him down. And so uh, one version says, how long do you keep us in suspense? You know, they were kind of looking now for a showdown. And so we move from the doubt of the defiant to the witness of the works. In verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Sometimes we'll tell somebody, it could be our kids or whatever, uh, a sibling, and they don't listen. And then you tell them again, and they don't listen. And then you tell them again, and they don't listen. You know, Jesus had been speaking ever since the ministry began, who he was. It was evident. There's no doubt about it. They, you know, when you're a Jew, and like, like, kind of like us today, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We are waiting for the return of Christ, right? Isn't that in your heart? We see the signs of the world that we're living in. We are waiting for the return of Christ. They were waiting for the first coming of Christ. It was, they were on the edge of their seats. They were wondering when the Messiah was going to come. And so when Jesus came and he did all these amazing you know, wonders, the witness of his works, the, the message of his miracles, you know, the, the signs said it all. And so it's just kind of weird that they would come to him and they would ask him, well, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Or if you're the Christ, you know, tell us plainly. And, and Jesus here has been, Jesus says, I've been telling you. I've been telling you by the witness of my works. You know, that they, they questioned him, even though it was obvious to us. You know, earlier in John 5, 31 through 40, we even read of the fourfold witness 
to Jesus' identity as the Christ. You read there that John the Baptist said that Jesus was the Christ, that his works said he was the Christ, that the Father said he was the Christ, and that even the scriptures pointed to him. And so in this case here, Jesus emphasizes the witness of his works that he did in his Father's name. You know, and it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, I don't know if you guys ever go through this, you know, do you ever doubt? Do you ever doubt, like, whether or not this is true? And some of you guys here know, huh? You're like, man, God has just solidified your faith, you're strong. I know for me, by the grace of God, I'm not going to in, in any way touch any aspect of credit or glory for it, but man, I just know. There is no doubt in my mind who Jesus is because he came into my life. He arrested me. He invaded my life. He just changed it overnight. You know, and he's giving me that grace, you know. But sometimes you talk to people and, and they doubt. And so it's okay. You know, you come. We're, we just, it is what it is. But we look at the evidence once again. You know, even John the Baptist doubted when he was arrested and put in prison. Now, remember, this is the guy that said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But then when he was calling out, you know, King Herod because of the adulterous relationship that he was having, he was saying that was sin. He got arrested, he got put in jail, and things weren't moving along at his pace. And so John the Baptist sent some of his disciples back to Jesus. And it says in Matthew eleven two through 6, when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, and he asked Jesus this. Imagine, John asked Jesus this. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In other words, he was kind of having his doubts. And Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I mean, who else? has done such things? Who else has raised the dead? Who else raised himself from the dead? And the answer is who? Is no one. And so when they're wondering whether or not, you know, plainly, are, are you, give us the message. Are you really the Christ? Jesus said the witness of the works are, are so loud. The signs that Jesus gave were intended to save, done by Jesus, and they're intended to bring us to Jesus, you guys. You know, and that's the intention. John chapter 2 and verse 11, it records the very first sign. It says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. That's what you want to come to. Do you believe in Jesus today? Can I ask you guys that question? Do you believe in him? By faith, not just in your brain, because your brain not going to get you to heaven. You believe in him in your brain, that's not enough. You have to believe in him in your heart. And if you put your, your faith in Christ with your heart, your life will change. If your life hasn't changed, then a faith that doesn't change your behavior will never change your destiny. It's important for us to understand the evidence is there. The proof is in the pudding. Jesus is who he said he is. Do you really believe? And so these guys, they had the discussion about Christ and then it kind of led to this whole witness of the works. But, but notice, again, you know, what we see next. Jesus tells us why they didn't believe. It says in verse 26, but, but you do not believe because you are not 
of my sheep, as I said to you. Now, this is interesting. I don't know if you guys uh, can catch it. He's saying, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. Now, we can get like really like doctrinal and theological, and they have this term, it's called soteriology, it's a doctrine of salvation. You know, and some people can look at this, and what they identify this as um, kind of like election, and you were chosen before time, and only those who were chosen and elected and selected by God have any hope of being saved, okay? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but be careful that you don't get too weird on that kind of stuff, because here's the really the way it works. Warren Wiersbe said it best. He said, from the human standpoint... We become his sheep by believing. But from a a divine standpoint, we believe because we are his sheep. And so these guys right here, they didn't believe in Jesus. um, And part of it is because of the fact that in one sense, uh, they were not even saved under the old covenant. Now, the Old Covenant had an aspect of you know, telling who God is, right? You guys remember the whole Old Testament. We had people that were saved. And so when Jesus comes to these guys who are the religious leaders of the day, they were only in it, we talked about it last time, for the money. They were hirelings, right? And so here we see the Lord says, you guys don't believe in me. You're doubting me. You're defying me. We're having a discussion about my identity because you can't hear the witness of my works And the real reason is because you're not my sheep. You're not even saved. You guys know this, huh? For those of you who are saved, there was a time when you could not understand understand spiritual truth, and then there was a time when you could. Right? Amen? Amen. Okay. Some of you guys, you don't understand what I'm saying right now. You don't understand what I'm saying. And I'm not saying this to put you down, but I am saying this. Jesus wants to come into your life. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he wants to come into your life. Because it's only then that you can really believe. It's only then that you can understand the Bible. And so Jesus here is sharing these things. You know, he had said something similar in chapter 8, verse 47. It says, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Now, Again, I don't have, how many of you guys have heard of Calvinism? I'm just curious. How many have heard of Calvinism? Okay, only like three of you. Okay, that's not, that's not bad. You know, some people can get into all that kind of stuff, and I think they can get you know, sidetracked. You know, but when I, when, I, when I see this right here, Jesus says, okay, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. You know, some people will say, therefore, there are some people who out there who don't even have a chance to be saved because they're just not God's sheep. They're just not chosen. They're just not elect. But I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to share with us right here. I don't think the Lord here is as much emphasizing why they didn't believe as much as he's emphasizing the terrible truth that they didn't believe. They were not believers. They were not saved. They were not sheep. They were not part of God's flock. If they were to die, they would not go to heaven. That's the emphasis. Not trying to, you know, create some theological, you know, pretzel truth and stuff like that. As a matter of fact, later on, he's going to tell them, you know, believe. 
He's going to tell them later on, the works that I do, that the fathers gave me to do, believe. He's going to be appealing to them. So be careful, you guys, that you don't get caught up in all that, that weird stuff. I believe that God wants everyone to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't you think that? Doesn't that make sense to you? Based on the God of the Bible who died for our sins, doesn't it make sense to you that he wants everyone to be saved? But not everyone will, because some people will not humble themselves to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the anticipated Messiah, was clear for all to see, but really they weren't interested in that, and so they were not a sheep. That's the most important thing. Let me ask you guys a question. Those of you who knew Reuben that passed away, where is he? He's in heaven. He's in heaven. You know, our brother, our, our brother Joey, our brother Jose, I mean, we can just go on and on. And I was thinking about all the people, and it's hard for us. It's hard for us, but I think it helps a little bit to know they're in heaven. It helps. You know, we're praying for our, our dear sister Margie's brother. Uh, you know, some of you guys got the, the, the text or the message, and he had uh, uh, um, a surgery, emergency surgery, because his brain was bleeding, you know? And so we're praying, of course, that he would survive it. But if he didn't, we knew there's a peace knowing that he's going to be with Jesus. We were praying for this young guy, Benjamin, uh, just a, a high schooler who also had uh, seizures. And then he also had a brain surgery just this last week, praying that he's okay. But, but uh, deep down inside, there's also an added peace knowing that if he were to die, that he would be in glory. Thank God he's doing well. He's at home. He's, you know, messaging and stuff. You know, I, I, all I'm saying is that that's really the most important thing. The other day I was driving, and you guys had to pray for me. I don't know what's been going on. Haven't gotten in an accident in a long time, but, man, I was that close to getting in an accident. On the freeway, I'm getting over, and I just turn over, you know, to the right, and then, honk, this guy honking his horn. My wife's, you know, not freaking out, but she was just saying, hey, not, not a, you know, like, hey, get back over, right? Because, I mean, what, what, you can die just like that. I mean, I, I was with my daughter. Um, pray for me. I don't know what happened, but I just ran a red light. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> you guys ever do that? I mean, most people don't. I'm like, man, weren't you paying attention? Dude, you just ran, completely ran a red light. And uh, almost, you know, got over. He ran into someone in the freeway. Who knows how that could end up. And, and I guess I was thinking about that. Okay, Manny, get back on track. You know, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, whatever. Put your hands on the steering wheel. Don't pay attention to the phone. You know, concentrate on driving. Because a lot of times people are not doing that while they're driving anymore. You know, drive safely. Why? Because you want to make it from point A to point B, especially when you have precious cargo. And this is what we are as a church. Point A to, to point B, one day we'll be there in eternity. Everything else is cool along the life. Don't get me wrong. I want you guys to have fun. I want you to enjoy life. We want to be able to you know, do all that we can while we're here on planet Earth. But as, as a church, we're working on this together. Not just the pastors, everyone. We're working on this together. We want you to make it home to heaven one day in God's timing. And that's only going to happen as you place your faith in Jesus Christ.
And this is what we're seeing here. You know, here we see, first of all, the discussion on Christ. And then secondly, we see the disciples of Christ. And you guys are not my sheep. That's why you don't believe me. But then notice how he, he talks about his sheep. In verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I mean, what an awesome truth. What an awesome privilege that we can be the disciples of Christ, that we can be sheep, that we are part of his flock, that we know who we are. And let me share three things about being a disciple of Christ. Number one, uh, it's a loving relationship. You know, God didn't have to be that way. As a matter of fact, if you were a part of Islam, if you believed in Islam, they don't believe in a loving God who has a personal relationship. If you were a Buddhist, they don't believe in a loving, personal God. They believe in, in pantheism. They believe that, you know, you're all God, that one day you're going to lose your identity as like a drop in the pond when you reach nirvana. I mean, you study the religions of the world, they don't believe this. But this is who God is. And to me, it makes perfect sense for so many reasons. If I can have a relationship with someone, if I can love someone, doesn't it make sense that the one who made us is like that? And that is the case. And that's how he's revealed himself to us. And he talks about his sheep right here. And he says, my sheep, they hear my voice. Think about that, how beautiful that is. I know them. Earlier we read that they know him. He knows them. The Greek word is kenosko, which means to know by personal relationship, personal experience. My sheep, they hear my voice. Think about that. I know them and they follow me. I mean, I mean, to me, I, 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 by nature, I'm not a leader. I, by nature, I'll be honest, I'm not a leader. By nature, I'm a much better follower. You know, I, I like it when, you know, I'm in a caravan and I'm not leading, to be honest, you know, because sometimes you get these guys and they know where they're going and they know what's up and they know how to drive and they might even know the shortcuts and stuff. And you're just, you feel so secure as you're following them, right? But sometimes when you're leading, have you guys ever been there where you kind of don't know for sure where you're going and people are following you and you're sweating bullets? Have you guys ever done that? Oh, man. So for me, I love the fact that all God is asking me to do is follow him. That's all. And it requires a a knowledge of the Bible. It requires a a, a personal relationship. It requires, in one sense, you guys, you got to give God time. Just give him 10 minutes. Sit down and just, you know, just say, Lord, speak to me. You know, what's going on, Lord? What, what's going on in my life? What's going on in my wife, my kids, whatever? And you just see, Lord, what do you want to do with the church? I mean, you just have to listen. You know, when we get together with the married couples and we do premarital counseling, we talk about communication, and we tell them that the most important part of communication is listening. And that's why God gave us two ears and only one mouth, right? And that's the same with the Lord. This loving relationship that we have with him, I mean, he knows us, we hear his voice, and we follow him. It's as simple as that. And to follow him, of course, it means you go where he leads you. That is true. But it also means you walk like he walks. When you follow him, you want to be like Jesus. This is what happens when you're his sheep 
and he's your shepherd. There's this loving relationship. Secondly, there's this living relationship. Look again at verse 28. He says, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And so Jesus gives his sheep eternal life. You know, remember we read that back in John chapter 3, in verse 15. This is the one before the most famous verse in the Bible. It says in verse 15 that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Of course, this speaks of salvation, the moment we place our faith in Jesus. It speaks of heaven, the moment we die, we take our last breath here, the first breath there. But understand, it's not just a quantity of life, it is a quality of life. When you are a sheep and he is your shepherd, we have this loving relationship. Think about how awesome that is. And we have this living relationship. And think about how awesome that is. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it's not just uh, a long life. Eternal life means like a long life. No, it's a deep life. Not just quantity, but quality. That's why in John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief has not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. That's what the devil wants to do. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We should be living this Zoe life, this abundant life that God gives to us, you guys, where we can walk on water, we can move mountains. Nothing defeats us when we're Christians. And sometimes we think we go through things and we get defeated. No, it's just all part of God's plan to give us the ultimate victory. And so this is what it is as God's sheep, loving relationship, living relationship, and then the lasting relationship. Because look what it says in verse 28. Again, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So, so isn't that cool, guys? How many of you here are sheep? I'm just curious. You're sheep. Bah, we're sheep, right? He's our shepherd. I have this loving relationship with the God of the universe. I have this living relationship in which he gives me his life. Think about it. He breathes into me the breath of life. And I have this lasting relationship in which no one can snatch me out of his hand. So that's where I'm at. I'm in his hand. And I'm not just in Jesus' hand. I'm in the Father's hand. He says, and no one is able to snatch me out of my, out of my Father's hand. That's what Jesus says. And so there's this aspect of, of security here. You know, we're secure in Jesus' hand, and in one sense, we're even more secure in the Father's hand. Here we see the church as a gift from the Father, and the Lord even says that we're in his hand and the Father's hand, and he, and he says the Father is greater than him. In other words, like it's almost like he's going to even keep us even more so. And so, you know, a couple of things real quick. You're like, well, how is the Father greater than Jesus? Well, he's greater than Jesus in function and in office. So remember we talked about the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. So there's an order within the Godhead. You have the Father and the Son submits to the Father and the Holy Spirit submits to both of them. It's a perfect order. It's a perfect uh, unity. 
there, there's an equality in the Godhead, but there is an order there as well. And so this is what Jesus is saying. No one can take you out of my hand. And my father, who's even higher in office and function, you're in his hand. No one's going to take you out of his hand either. And there's this aspect of, of security. You know, what we also see, some Bible teachers say that being the Father is greater, it also means that while Jesus was on earth, there's this aspect of the Father being greater because of the fact that he was in heaven and Jesus is on earth. All that to say, basically, I don't know, I hope it comforts your heart. It's supposed to give you a sense of security. You know, they say that, I don't know if guys, probably the same thing with guys, and I don't want to pick on the girls, okay? But they say that that's the thing the girls need the most is security, right? And I'm not sure if that's the case, but I will say this, that as Christians in Jesus' hand, in the Father's hand, the whole message there, the whole point there is to give us a sense of security. You don't have to worry. You don't have to freak out. Well, well, is this one going to leave me? No, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, what if the devil comes after me? What if all the demons come after me? What if the world comes after me? What if the armies come after me? No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You see, we got to let that sink in. In a world of abandonment, in a world of divorce, in a world of uh, you know separation and, and even death, we have to understand that this one will never let us go. And so I have to say this, you guys, as we read the scriptures, again, getting back to the whole thing on Calvinism and soteriology and theology, because sometimes people take this, and I think what they do is they make it weird. You know, as a Calvary Chapel, um, you know, I've been raised in, in Calvary Chapel, and, you know, we kind of have uh, been taught the Bible by Pastor Chuck and others that uh, the Lord raised up. And again, we go through scriptures and we have learned from many, many people over the years. We believe that we are eternally secure as we abide in Jesus Christ. And so here's the thing. Okay, no one can take you out of the Father's hand, right? But does that mean that you can't ever like jump or you can't ever leave? I, I don't know for sure. I, I'm not God you know, I've been taught, and again, there's the mystery of election. There's a mystery of being chosen. There's a mystery of the Trinity. There's a mystery in all these things. And so the thing that I would encourage you in, in is this. Listen, God will not fail, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're in jail. You are wrapped in the love of God, but you're not trapped in the love of God. I've seen it over the years, people in, sitting in the pews like you, people preaching from the pulpits here, um, I've seen it, you know, one of Billy Graham's right-hand men, you know, such a godly man, walking with God, seem used by God, but the next thing you know, he says he doesn't believe in God. So what, what I want to encourage you guys in, in this is have the security in knowing that no one can ever take you out of his hand. No one can ever, you know, separate you from the love of God. God will never, ever, ever leave you. But I just want to encourage you in this. Stay where you belong. Abide in him. Believe in him for the rest of your life. In John chapter 15, it says, I am the vine, Jesus said, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. 
And the word abide, it means to rest. It means to remain. It doesn't mean you earn your salvation by the works of obedience, going to church and prayer, Bible reading, that kind of stuff. It just means you rest there. You remain there. Because remember I told you the, the whole point of this whole thing is to get you from point A to point B, right? We want to get you from heaven to earth. And so that's why I want to encourage you uh, for the rest of your life, just keep believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if a person walks away from God, um, I don't understand why anyone would ever do that. Why would anyone ever walk away from God? I mean, to me, it's weird, but I know I've seen things that appears to be that way. And, and But the thing about it is if you ever did, if you ever said, you know what, I'm not going to go to church no more. I'm not going to read my Bible no more. I'm not going to pray no more. I don't believe. I, it was just whatever. It was a phase I was going through. If you ever do, I will tell you this. You want to know something? God's going to go after you. You guys know that? He, he's going to chase you down. He will, not you, he will not let you get away without a fight. That's how much he loves you. He will do everything he can other than violate our own free will to keep us right where we belong. You know, it kind of reminds me of what Adrian Rogers said when they asked him, you know, what would you do if your wife left you? And Adrian Rogers said, if Joyce ever leaves me, I'm going with her. I like that. I like that. I kind of think that's what God would do. And so I don't know, you guys. I just, as I read my Bible and as I've lived my life as a Christian for whatever, 30 plus years, I just want to encourage you to rest there, remain there. Pastor Chuck, he said it, and it is a perfect way. We are eternally secure as we abide in Jesus Christ. And so we look at the discussion of Christ, we look at the disciples of Christ, but then we look at the deity of Christ. And notice what we read in verse 30. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Well, many good works I have shown you from the Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. And so here, again, we've talked about the fact, you know, Matthew wrote to the Jews presenting Jesus as king. Mark wrote to the Romans presenting Jesus as servant. Luke wrote to the Greeks presenting Jesus as a man. And John writes to the world presenting Jesus as God. And here Jesus says, I and my father are one. And these guys are like, what? What are you talking about? They pick up stones because that was a Jewish form of execution. And the Lord's like, well, what, what good work? Why are you guys stoning me? And they're like, not, not for a good work because you're just a man and you're saying that you're God. And so clearly they were understanding Jesus' claim to deity, right? And so they're, they're ready to stone him. But as we read right here, Jesus answered in verse 34, well, is it not written in your law I said, you are gods. That's Psalm 82, verse 6. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? You know, Psalm 82, verse 6, um, that's when God referred to the judges as gods and it was because of the fact that in their office, they determined the fate of other men. And so that was scriptural, using the word Elohim. And so if the scriptures, which cannot be broken, said that about these guys, 
I mean, why in the world would they consider it blasphemy when the one that God the Father sanctified and sent claims to be God? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, I will admit this, that they, Jews, they didn't have the full counsel that we have, and they had not yet seen the resurrection of the Christ, right? We now see the whole picture, and there is no doubt that Jesus is God, that God came to earth, right? But, you know, the for them to be able to have Psalm 82.6 and just how that referred, they, they, there's no reason whatsoever that they should not thought any less of Christ. There's no reason for them to do this. And again, what the Lord ends up doing is taking them back to his life, taking back taking to his wor- works. Look at verse 37. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do... Though you do not believe me or my words, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And that's why, remember we were talking about earlier, well, you're not my sheep, you know, now you can't believe. No, he's trying to draw them. He's trying to tell them, hey, you don't listen to my words, but look, look at my life, the wonders, the witness, the miracle, the message, the signs, it says who I am. And the Lord right here is trying to bring them back. Now, when he talks about him and the Father being one or the Father being in him, him being in the Father, there is this mystery about the Trinity that is so beautiful. You know, later on, he's going to talk about that unity even in John chapter 17. Um, But it doesn't mean that Jesus is the Father or the Father is Jesus. It's just talking about how we have the Trinity and how there's only one God in three persons. And so the Lord here, again, I think John in writing the whole you know, dialogue, he's just trying to get people to believe. You know, the other day, I, I'll just show you guys this real quick. Or maybe I won't. Oh yeah, this, I don't know why I want to show you guys this. It's quality cannabis delivered. Quality cannabis delivered. This was mailed to my house. And it was mailed to my daughter. And it just basically says, hey, 40% off your first order, 20% off your second order. And uh, it basically, if you ordered pot, you can get it in an hour. That's what he's saying. And look at how nice this is, man. It's all glossy and thick and it's all perforated and everything. I'm like, whoa, trip out on that. There was a time, because I, I used to get high. I got high a lot. I used to do pot a lot. And there was a time when we used to have to do it, you know, or you had to hide it. But now it's just open and it's rampant. And I'm not talking about pot for medicinal purposes. That's a different uh, story, but we're talking about recreational. And some people think, well, because it's legal, then I'm sure it's fine to do. But, but just because something is legal in man's eyes doesn't mean it's right in God's eyes. And so there are some people, they're you know, engaged in sexual sin, pornography, uh, pride, pot, you know, Beer, alcohol, you know, drugs. I mean, just so many things. They're cheating on their taxes. So many things that are going on. And they just have no power over sin. And, and what God is trying to say is, come to me. Come to me and I'll fill the void inside of you. Come to me and I'll show you the purpose for which you were created. Come to me and I will give you this mission. Then you will know God and you will be used by him to make him known. This is what Jesus is saying here. We can't miss this. We can't 
we make it all about like, you know, Christology or theology or that kind of stuff. No, he's just saying to everybody, you know, who can listen, anybody, and he's going to say it through you because you guys come here and you get the message and hopefully you go out and you tell the message too. Listen, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what this dialogue is all about. Knowing who he is. He's our shepherd. We're his sheep. He's God. And if God is in my corner, I have a feeling that I'm be in pretty good shape. And so right here he tells them in verse 37, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you not believe my words, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first and there he stayed. And then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And I like this verse 32, and it's a great way to end the chapter. And many believed in him there. And that's all Jesus wanted. Come to me, he said, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You guys, we're not talking about religion. We're not. We're talking about a relationship between you and God. And no matter who you are here today, no matter what's going on in your life, God loves you. Jesus died for you. He rose again, and he wants you to come to him. And if you haven't done that, I pray that you would today. Yeah, you would know, you know, that he can forgive any sin. He will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, future. He will. That's what happens when you enter into a relationship with him. And then when you stand before God, like our brother Reuben said, it won't be a sin issue. It will be a son issue. When we stand before the Father one day, you want to know what he's going to ask us? He's going to say, hey, Manny, why weren't you better at Connect Core? And I'm just joking. I won't say it again. He's going to say, what did you do with my son? And you know what I'm going to say? I don't know if it's going to go down like that, but I'm just going to say, Lord, thank you. I believe in Jesus. That's what you got to do. And so.